What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Thursday, August 18th. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And I'm Erin Ryan, and this is What A Day, where we are encouraging Taylor Lautner's fiancé, Taylor Dome, to keep her last name rather than creating an all-new Taylor Lautner. The world does not need two Taylor Lautners. Yeah, Taylor Dome, what are you doing, Loka? <laughs> oh, it's where have you been, Loka? <laughs> On today's show, Rudy Giuliani appeared before an Atlanta grand jury investigating whether Donald Trump tried to interfere with the 2020 election. Plus, Mike Pence said he'd consider talking to the January 6th committee. But first, we turn to news coming out of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Yesterday, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky announced the agency will be making big structural and cultural changes. The reasoning behind this decision, she admitted, is that the CDC kind of effed up their handling of the coronavirus pandemic. But Priyanka, why now? Isn't it a little bit late? I mean, just a little. But back in April, Walensky commissioned an external review of the CDC following widespread criticism of the agency's response to COVID. Those findings were released yesterday, and you probably won't be too surprised by what was inside. The review discusses how the ever-changing public guidance from the CDC has been, quote, confusing and overwhelming. You probably remember that yourselves from living through the past few years. The report also found that COVID data published by the agency is often messy or incomplete, and that delayed decisions over whether to recommend booster shots to some age groups. I get the CDC is kind of blaming themselves while appropriate, but I got to say it's also a little bit attributable to Americans' complete lack of science literacy. (laughs) To be honest, we've all felt the whiplash from the CDC's guidance since this all started. I mean, my vaccines are currently expiring in my body. (laughs) It's been a long time, but a lot of whiplash. So we didn't need anyone to tell us that messaging really isn't their thing. But we can give them some credit. It made for some good comedy so we could laugh through the tears. I know science is difficult, and this is a novel virus and all of that. But who's running messaging at the CDC, huh? I want to start off by thanking each and every one of you for your dedication and commitment to blindly following every single one of our guidelines that we seem to be pulling out of our ass during this never-ending show of a pandemic. The CDC announced that fully vaccinated people no longer have to wear masks or socially distance, (laughs) except if you go to most places. If you test negative, but you're in Aries or any other fire sign, test again. Your immune system is a free spirit, so the tests have trouble detecting COVID. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky has been taking media training in an effort to improve messaging. She now learned 40 different ways to say, we have no idea. You know what? I take issue with that fire sign comment. (laughs) I think air and earth signs would be the earth signs. Bats, earth signs, caves. Wow. Right? We're poking some holes in this. 
Anyways, this isn't just a rebuke for the CDC in light of its COVID response. We are seeing a lot of the agency's flaws yet again as it's dealing with the current monkeypox outbreak. I touched on that with my conversation with Dr. Carlton Thomas in yesterday's episode, but hopefully some of the changes outlined by Walensky will help here. To break this all down for us, we have our favorite epidemiologist, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed, host of Crooked's America Dissected. Dr. Abdul, thanks for joining us again. It is stiff competition for our favorite epidemiologist. So. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I'll do my best because, man, if I can't win an in-house competition, what am I even doing? <laughs> Hopefully I can communicate this a little bit better than CDC. Yeah, I, I hope so. It is a limbo bar to clear. So starting off with the basics here, walk us through what this reorganization would look like. So the CDC announced in April that they were going to do an agency-wide study to look at what were the barriers to their response. And, and they found a couple of very big ones. Number one, obviously communication. In that respect, the CDC is really investing in their communications platform and thinking a lot more about how you communicate in a 21st century media cycle. I think they've leaned a lot on the notion that they're authorities and that authority actually matters for something in 2022, but apparently that's just not correct. And we've been living through that for the past two years. The other piece is that they had a real challenge engaging with the rest of government, whether you're talking about the rest of the federal government or you're talking about other government entities like city or state health departments. Uh, and so they're building uh, in-house intergovernmental affairs department that can be a hub uh, for all these communications. And then the last part that's really salient here is that they realized that they just weren't getting science out in time to be impactful. And we lived through all of that. You, you played a montage that sort of spoke to all of the challenges, both communicating, but also getting timely scientific information. And so they're bringing two really important scientific offices right under the director. More broadly, though, it's also an attitude change. The CDC has for a long time really seen itself as sort of almost an academic department. And obviously that doesn't work in real time when you're trying to respond to ongoing public health challenges and people are a lot more interested in whether or not they're going to get a paper published. And so they're trying to address that too. The last part I think is important to remember here is that the leadership of the CDC right now is a director that doesn't come from government public health and has never led an organization this size. And so these moves are really important and a really important step. The question is, does this leader have the capacity to actually make these kinds of uh, organizational shifts? Because with all of these things, the devil's in the details. Totally. It really does sound like they're trying to make the organization and what they put out a little more user-friendly, actually a lot more user-friendly than geared towards academia, as you were saying, and publishing papers and whatnot. And so from that perspective, that seems like it might be pretty great for like, you know, regular people who are living through COVID, monkeypox, whatever the next few years end up throwing at us. But obviously the CDC has really struggled with its public messaging for a while now, and that's been eroding a lot of the trust in what should be one of the best public health agencies in the world. So moving forward, what can it do to kind of improve how it delivers news and guidance, what have you? So one of the things that they are planning to do is simplify their website. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of this is, if you're a CDC scientist, in some respects, you assume that your messaging is going to be sieved down through other health professionals. And that's just not how the world works in 2022. And so simplifying the website so it doesn't feel like you're talking to other medical professionals or public health professionals, but instead talking directly to the public obviously makes a lot of sense. 
The other thing here is an ethos of conversation. We in public health used to assume that because we had authority, because we had degrees and had studied this stuff for a long time, that people would just listen to us. And unfortunately, that's just not how the world works. There's a lot of competition for our attention in the first place. But secondarily, there are a lot of folks who are going to second guess or third guess uh, what an agency like the CDC is going to do and to say. And not only that, but even scientists and public health professionals who are engaging with CDC debates are not having this debate quietly with other colleagues. They're doing it live on Twitter. Um, and so I think engaging a public conversation in this kind of media environment requires you to be far faster than you were, to be a lot more simple than you were, and just to be a lot more thoughtful about how you talk in a way where you know your words are going to get parsed by folks who are doing it in good faith and folks who are doing it in bad faith. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so we've talked about how COVID data collection has been a huge obstacle throughout the pandemic, in part because of how our healthcare system is structured. How can the agency fix this? Well, this is a really important question, Aaron, and I appreciate you asking it because the CDC is one agency in a huge HHS, Health and Human Services, enterprise in the federal government. And then all of that is just one arm of government public health. You also have municipal public health departments, over 3,000 of them, uh, and state public health departments, and, and there are dozens of those. And so the CDC cannot fix a lot of what's broken in both our public health environment and then more broadly our healthcare system. And until we're serious about building the kind of healthcare system where we're focused on the well-being of people and making sure that sick people can heal and more importantly that people don't have to get sick in the first place, rather than profiteering off of the bodies of sick people, um, it's going to be really hard for the CDC to actually fix so many of the other problems that we face in American health and healthcare. Let's wrap up really quickly by taking a step back. So despite, you know, all of the problems that the CDC has faced, what have they gotten right over the past two years? What do you hope kind of continues throughout this reorg and in their future? In public health, you have to be prepared for whatever comes around the pike. N nobody knew two and a half years ago that there was a such thing called SARS-CoV-2, that the next huge pandemic would be caused by a coronavirus. At the same time, had you talked to somebody you know, a year ago and said that monkeypox was going to be the next big public health challenge that we'd be facing, people would be quite surprised by that. And so it's really important the CDC maintains a level of expertise that is broad, not just deep. And being able to actually be a place where expertise is cultivated uh, and empowered has to remain um, a goal of the CDC. The other thing that I think they did really well is around approval and recommendations on the vaccine side. And to this end, I do think that not only is it important to continue to be really smart about getting experts in a room and, and really hashing out details about big public health recommendations like a vaccine, but then we talked about this already, being able to explain them to the public in a way that's comprehensive right. and concise. As always, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Abdul. Priyanka, it was my privilege. I really appreciate the thoughtful questions. We love having you. Please be sure to check out America Dissected wherever you get your podcasts and Dr. Abdul's YouTube channel, More Context, Less Conflict, where every week he covers different public health topics and everything else going on in our crazy world. We will continue covering the latest scientific and health news, but that's the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads.
Well, today is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific you get flowers you're getting flowers everyone's (laughs) getting flowers (laughs) go to books.com and use promo code wad for 25 percent off that is b-o-u-q-s.com promo code wad books promo code wad what a day is brought to you by fast growing trees fast growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the u.s with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, Fast Growing Trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash wad today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash wad. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. An explosion at a mosque in Afghanistan's capital of Kabul yesterday killed at least 10 people and wounded dozens more. That is according to the numbers reported by the time of our recording at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night. Authorities said that the massive explosion was carried out by a suicide bomber during evening prayers. A prominent imam was killed and several children were among the wounded. No one took immediate responsibility for the attack, but this does come as the Islamic State group has ramped up attacks since the Taliban took over just one year ago. I can't believe it's been a year. I know. The amount of backsliding in that country is horrible. It's a shame. It's awful. A federal judge ordered CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart to pay over $650 million yesterday for fueling the opioid crisis in two Ohio counties. Two Ohio counties. Two. Just two. That is so wild. I do not have the number of counties in America, 
at hand right now, but I know that it is significantly more than two. Than two. <laughs> That's a lot of money if you spread that out across the country. Yeah. This ruling marks the first time a federal judge has ever ordered these pharmacy chains to pay a specific dollar amount for their roles in the epidemic. And the large sum of cash is only one third of what the two counties need to actually address the damage the opioid epidemic has caused their communities. That is a staggering amount of money. Can't even wrap your brain around yeah. what that would be, the damage that this has caused and what it would take to come close to rectifying that. You can't even completely do it because it's so many lives have already been lost. Some news from this week's primary elections. We drew one step closer to John McCain's unrealized dream of a Palin in the federal government. Oh, no. The, I truly, yeah. <laughs> Don't Not put great. that into the universe. No. Ugh. Yeah, the former Alaska governor moved ahead in her congressional primary. Sarah Palin and three other candidates will compete for Alaska's only House seat in a ranked choice general election come November. Already terrified over here. Over in Wyoming, Republican House representative and co-chair of the January 6th committee, Liz Cheney, lost her bid for re-election. In a speech that saw her compare herself to Abraham Lincoln, Cheney conceded to her Trump-backed opponent, Harriet Hagman, on Tuesday night. She said, quote, this primary election is over, but now the real work begins on what campaign we are a little terrified to find out. She also had this to say about her future in politics on the Today Show yesterday. Are you thinking about running for president? I'm not going to make any announcements here this morning, but it is something that I, uh, I'm thinking about and I'll make a decision uh, in the coming months. Cool, cool, cool. Just I, I need a Extremely moment uncool. for myself. <laughs> Extremely I need a uncool. moment. Liz Cheney Please is... Please don't do this. She's great on the January 6th committee. No notes. Every other thing she's ever done, notes. A lot of notes. Cheney isn't the only anti-Trump Republican to feel the wrath of the electorate. Only two House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump last year won their primaries this year. David Valadeo of California and Dan Newhouse of Washington State. Of the remaining eight, four lost their primaries and four stepped down. You know, it's funny, Sarah Palin being in the House is sort of terrifying because of my residual feelings about her from the year 2008. But I think if she were elected as part of the Republican caucus in 2022... Like, would she be crazy? She would be the Mitt Romney of Marjorie Taylor Greens. Yeah, you know? kind of. The Biden administration made more progress on the issue of student loan debt this week. On Tuesday, the Department of Education said it would cancel $3.9 billion in debt for over 200,000 students who attended ITT Technical Institute. Wow. Flashback to taking a sick day from school, watching afternoon talk show trash, Ricky Lake, etc., etc. Listen, if you owned a TV in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know all about ITT Tech. You definitely know about it. You maybe were like, okay, I know about it, not interested. But a lot of people did go to ITT Tech. Yes, it turns out. It's a private for-profit college that had several campuses nationwide when it was in operation. The institution lost all of its federal funding back in 2016 for misleading prospective students about its programs in order to generate revenue. There's no exact timeline for when borrowers will officially get their slates wiped clean. But the department said that those who are eligible for relief will not have to make more payments on their loans even after the current loan pause expires. Controversial statement incoming. Priyanka? I'm ready. If we're going to start penalizing institutions for misleading people about degrees in order to generate revenue... 
Watch out, master's degree programs. Watch out pretty much everything. <laughs> They're coming for you, J-School. They are. They really are. A bad day yesterday for Trump's all-star 2020 legal lineup. The former president's lawyer and budget venue booking agent, Rudy Giuliani, appeared before a grand jury in Atlanta to testify for a reported six hours about attempts to overturn the election results in the state. What Giuliani revealed, if anything, is yet unknown. Unlike with previous Giuliani appearances, this time we don't have photographic evidence of the truth, just oozing out of him. You're oh. welcome for that disgusting visual to kick off your morning. <laughs> Too early. Also in legal hot water is Jenna Ellis, another one of Trump's election fraud crazed attorneys. Yesterday, a judge from her home state of Colorado ordered her to appear before the same Georgia grand jury as Rudy. Just a sweet little reunion for all of them. And in other January 6th news, if you are wondering how calling for your subordinates' execution affects loyalty, <laughs> here's your answer. Former Vice President Mike Pence said yesterday that he would consider a formal invitation to testify before the House Committee investigating the insurrection. Whether the committee will ask to talk with Pence is TBD. The former VP also denounced Republican calls to defund the FBI following the agency's raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. He made these comments at a political event in New Hampshire, one of several states with early primaries that Pence has visited as he positions himself as a more repressed alternative to Trump in 2024. Yeah, because my big problem with Trump is he's too interesting. What I want is a politician who has his exact same ideas, but is really boring. Honestly, like some of these people, they might. Don't put that out there. Don't put that out there. And moving on from Trump's election crimes, there is also a story about his business crimes. The New York Times is reporting that Alan Weisselberg, the former chief financial officer of the Trump Organization, will take a plea deal today in a very hefty fraud case being tried in Manhattan. Prosecutors say that Weisselberg helped carry out a scheme to avoid paying taxes on lavish corporate perks. He is expected to plead guilty to 15 felonies related to the scheme and will cooperate with the district attorney's office as the larger case against the Trump Organization moves forward. Weisselberg could have gotten up to 15 years in prison. Reportedly, under the terms of the deal, he may spend as little as 100 days behind bars. The guilty plea is bad news for Trump and his family, but there are limits to exactly how bad it is. Sources for the Times say that Weisselberg will not implicate any of the Trumps if he takes the stand in the trial. Like, why why did you get this deal if you're not doing this? Like, I'm a little confused. Yeah, I mean, it is a deal in the same way that me going into a store and being like, I want to buy this bag that costs $200. I will pay you $5. And they're like, okay, deal. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. And that it makes absolutely no fucking sense. Sure. Yep. Not at all. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. The wait is over. Crooked's new podcast, Dare We Say, is officially here. And for its debut episode, out now, best friends Josie Toda, Alicia Pasquale-Pena, and Yasmin Hamidi give you 10 hilarious tips on how to celebrate your birthday. You don't want to miss it. New episodes of Dare We Say drop every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, cower at the second coming of Sarah Palin, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just Trump organization guilty pleas like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. 
and let the, the truth, truth ooze out, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani. Oh, yeah. Keep it in. Keep it's it like in. It's like a terrible title of a Charlie Brown holiday special for a heat wave. <laughs> There's never been a sweatier man. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein. And our executive producers are Lita Martinez and Leo Duran. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware.